Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. This is Season 7, Episode 304, for those of you who have been keeping count. Yes, Season 7, can you believe it, Mark? Anyways, Mark Daly here, along with the one and only Mr. Mark Hamilton, who's had a little bit of drama this this week. But apart from that, he's here, he's smiling, he's all good to go. How are you, sir? Oh, a little bit anxious to be totally honest. It was like you said in the green room before we kicked off. It's it's been a while since we sat down and did a full on podcast. We we dropped a special. We we dropped a an interview. But it's been a while since we sat down and really recapped everything that's going on in the world of Formula One. There's a lot going on, which we'll get to tonight. But I'm doing okay. I hate to be that guy that talks about the weather on this show all the time, but (laughs) we went from six months ago when we had record-breaking heat in this city, in this province, to now having record-breaking cold in this province. We've had snow on the ground pretty much since the day I was explaining as something of a flex to Vincenzo and Charlie and some of our other listeners in our Christmas Spaces chat that we don't get snow in Vancouver to having had two weeks of snow. And I literally had to wheel my palm trees into the (laughs) Garage to get them away from them. So I, I did the initial step, which is in Vancouver, everyone loves to have a palm tree, but we wrap them in the fall to make sure that they stay warm. But that wasn't enough. So I had to cart them into the garage in the midst of a snowstorm. So yeah, apart from that, apart from the flood, apart from all of the normal drama that every family goes through, things are darn good. And we are creeping ever so close to not only the Formula One season, but the car unveils, which will start happening in about a month. Color me excited. (laughs) I I can't wait. How are you? How are you? Good, man. Really, really good. Uh, This was my my first week back at work. I mean, it's Thursday, January 6th, 2022. Still getting used to writing 2022 on everything and uh, doing a very bad job of it. It usually takes me till about June to get the the dates and the year right. But uh, anyways, I'm a little bit slow in that regards. But no, it's been good. I mean, enjoyed a couple of weeks off and uh, spent a lot of time with family, did some skiing, did all the, the the holiday stuff and did a little bit of work around the house. You can't really tell because I mean, this is, you know, for, for people watching the live stream that you get the same view week in, week out, but I've actually cleaned up all around here, reorganized the office and uh, that makes, uh, it's, I guess it's a little bit of feng shui or something like that. I, I feel like my chi can flow nicely through the through the office here. So I'm I'm feeling it. You know, it's it's, it's just the new year energy. Just excited to 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 be back. At, at, well, not just at work, but excited to be back here. So excited! And literally just a couple of weeks, we're going to see the new cars of the new Formula One era. And I'm just so so excited to, to see that. I don't care who who releases their car first. I just I can't wait. I'm literally counting the minutes. So on that, I've got a point that I want to share in a moment that I'm going to steal from tonight's Spaces chat. But I did want to add that I am slowly but excitedly starting to put my studio, aka my basement, back together. Okay. I spent 
weeks and months agonizing over what wallpaper I wanted. Agonizing. <laughs> and I finally found one that I loved in of all places because I wasn't expecting to get one in one of the big box stores. Found one at Lowe's. Looked very cool. Even <clears throat> got a carpet that matched. I posted it on the Twitter feed. And who responds with a photo of their bedroom with the exact same wallpaper but you? <laughs> How dare you? How dare you preemptively Go and buy the exact same wallpaper as me. I promise I have never been in your bedroom to know that you had that wallpaper. <laughs> but what a crazy coincidence. That was really funny. So no, I- my, my question is, do when it comes to the question or the, the, the whole statement of great minds think alike, is it do you and I think alike or is it the great minds of our wives that think alike? I mean, my wife picked out I- ours. Did, 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 did Sarah pick out your wallpaper? I mean- So I took her- a list of options. Okay. But she made the final, as these things go, she certainly made the final, final decision. But on, on topics other than wallpaper, just mm-hmm. getting back to the sneak previews that we're probably going to start seeing in, in February. Because as we all know, the cars that are shown in the previews are rarely the final product. Yep. Mercedes ma- made a massive statement uh, within the last week when they posted a sneak preview of their 2022 Challenger. They posted a tweet in a darkened room with shadows gracing it, but they posted a sneak preview of their 2022 car. And to me, and we talked about this in the Spaces chat tonight, that was an ever so subtle flex or statement from Mercedes that, look, we've run off eight straight constructors championships, and here we are on roughly January 1st, and our 2022 Challenger is ready to go. And then Mm -hmm. there was a couple of unsubstantiated leaks that came out in the days following this tweet, suggesting that there was also an engine in that car. And if you follow F1, this is a big deal for a team to have their car relatively track ready on January 1st or close to it. That's pretty big. The fact that we're going into 2022 with entirely new cars, and you have to assume that most teams are, are... grinding it out now and they'll be working right to the finish line to get these cars ready for mercedes to be confident enough to show a photo of their near final product holy moly and i think based on the outcome of the championship i thought that was an incredible statement for them to make by tweeting that picture yeah totally i I mean as much as i was surprised i wasn't at the same time because let's face it these guys have had an extra year to work on these cars i mean had we not had the whole pandemic had we not had not all those issues they had i mean it was going to be pretty pretty tight to get these cars to the the start line to start uh, 2021. Ultimately, it was pushed back a year. So you would think by and large that they should be up and down the paddock. They should be putting the finishing touches on these cars. But I mean, like you say, I mean, that's a big statement for them to, to literally come out a month ahead of everybody else and tease what their car is going to look like. And I think they also said that they're going back to the silver. I think they're, they're going, moving away from the black, which they've had on their cars the past uh, t- was it two years now, which looked uh, really, really amazing, but sounds like they're going back to the traditional silver. Yeah, the black, as far as I'm concerned, the black's going to be missed. I, I thought the black looked exceptional. And if you remember, that was introduced probably midway through 2020 at the height of the Black Lives Matter movement. And it was mm-hmm. really a really pronounced effort by Mercedes to to show their support for social justice. And, and obviously, it had an impact. But other than that, it just looked absolutely fantastic. And it's going to be missed, but it'll be interesting to see them go back to go back to silver as well. And of course, the cars won't be the only thing that looks a little bit different this year. The, the drivers are going to look a little bit different in that uh, George Russell will be piloting the second the second car. 
Yeah, it's it's going to take some use or getting used to when we see everybody get to um, I guess it's Bahrain for the opening round, and it's always it it's always a bit you know I wouldn't say weird, but it takes a little bit of getting used to when you have changes up and down the grid, and this year especially, and because I mean regardless who's been at Mercedes, I mean it's been a team that you know historically has had some pretty solid and not too many driver changes. I mean, before Bottas was obviously uh, Rosberg and Hamilton. I mean, that was a, a little bit like oil and water, but, you know, their, their drivers do tend to, to stick around. But I mean, and other teams, more. I mean, we know Red Bull is going to be the same. Ferrari's going to be the same. Uh, McLaren's going to be the same. But I mean, going back to car releases, McLaren, please come back with that uh, that that one off livery from Monaco with those golf colors. That sort of the retro paint job that was just amazing. I know that they want to do more of these one off um, uh, paint jobs for 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 twenty twenty two, but that one for me was a home run. You you have to think that it's a big win for them, right? Like if you go back to the nineties when North American pro sports teams started introducing the alternate jersey. I mm. I certainly remember when the NHL team started doing yep. it around ninety five. The principal reason to introduce an alternate jersey was to sell more jerseys. And in Formula One, let's be honest, the the impetus to introducing a new livery or an alternate livery or a special one off livery is one. It's fun, but. I can't even imagine how much golf merch that McLaren sold in the days and weeks following that weekend. Mm -hmm. It's it's a big revenue driver. And I think the teams, especially with the expertise of Liberty, of who, of course, has a stake or a chunk or the entirety of a Major League Baseball team, they'll know all about incorporating these, these financial these financial drivers into the sport, but certainly love that that livery. And I think one of our listeners, and I, I apologize because I can never remember who it was, but somebody had made that suggestion that maybe Monaco every year, every team is expected to show up with an alternate or a classical retro livery. I think that would be super, super cool. It would totally work at a race like Monaco that's, you know, has like a, it's steeped in history anyways, right? But I mean, the thing, just going back to the McLaren uh, livery, that golf livery, I, I mean, it works on so many levels. I mean, you've got that cool retro throwback to like the 1970s, you know, the back when Bruce McLaren was, you know, basically, it was basically his startup, right? And then you just have, uh, you know, all that's, you know, that, that you know, that classic look to it, just plus the combination of that papaya orange and that light blue, it just, uh, and, and the white, it just goes together. I mean, it just, uh, you know, it's, it's a home run on uh, so many levels. But talking on something that uh, I don't know if we want to call it a home run or an own goal, but Aston Martin have announced that Otmar Safnauer, former team principal, has uh, vacated his role and left the company. Now, this was a, a bit of a surprise, but I mean, the smoke was there even like last year. When was it? Was it back last summer that he was uh, perhaps going to what, what was the rumor at the time he was going to be? Was he just leaving or is he going to be moving he was somewhere? Go to Alpine. Oh, that's right. To Alpine. That's right. That's what it was. And I, I couldn't help but think at the time that uh, even though they quickly poo-pooed it and uh, dismissed it uh, out of hand, that, you know, that old saying where there's smoke, there's fire, that um, I, I couldn't help but think that even that when that was kind of blown off uh, by, by Aston Martin and Safnauer himself, I couldn't help uh, but have this sort of linger at the back of my mind that, you know, well, it'll be interesting to see in the weeks and months ahead what happens uh, with, with Safnauer. Honestly, I hadn't thought about it, uh, you know, since. But when this story came up earlier this week, I'm like, well, yeah, here you go. <laughs> you know, fast forward six months, and this, um, you know, it's 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 big news. Obviously, I mean, he's been there for for quite some time, and and seeing uh, their, you know, transition from ra- or, you know uh, Force India to Racing Point, uh, uh, an out and out constructor in Aston Martin. 
And whether or not that's big shoes to fill, that's that's a great question. But you know that uh, Lawrence Stroll is going to go out and, you know, he's he's going to be looking for an A-list candidate to, to fill that role, regardless who it is. Uh, and I, I'm sure he's going to be very aggressive and very thorough in his search to replace Otmar. Yeah, and I think the writing in hindsight, and it probably should have been more obvious to us at the time, was the hiring of Martin Whitmarsh by mm-hmm. Lord Stroll. I guess it would have been late August, early September when that. Yeah, was that's announced. about right. And yeah, and Lawrence Stroll certainly addressed that during uh, Beyond the Beyond the Grid podcast that he was interviewed on. I'm not sure what the motivation was for this. I, I think it probably speaks to the fact that Lawrence is probably a little less patient than maybe he suggests in interviews in the media. I think he's invested obviously hundreds of millions of dollars in this organization, and he probably was not satisfied with the outcome that was last season. Right? We went into 2021, and they finished fourth place in 2020, and they were a pleasant surprise, and everyone, mm-hmm. including of us expected the, the build on that success and unfortunately despite the acquisition of four times world champion uh seb vettel they ultimately finished seventh in the championship and i don't know necessarily how the progress is coming with their 2022 car but ultimately at some point lawrence stroll lost enough faith in otmar that he needed felt he needed to bring in martin whitmarsh and for those of you that don't know martin was the ceo of the mclaren f1 team for about a decade leaving in 2014 he was the team principal from 2009 until the end of 2014 because ron dennis had stepped down from the f1 group to go and run the car the motor car vision because mm-hmm. McLaren to get big into luxury performance road cars, which is also what triggered the eventual demise of the relationship between McLaren and Mercedes. But I think for Otmar, I think he probably looked at that hiring as, look, even, even if Lawrence wants to keep me around, I'm not clear on what my role is. If there's somebody here that has done my role previously, do I report to him? Is he overseeing the road car division and the F1 team? If he's overseeing the F1 team, how much involvement is he going to have? And do I lose my anonymity? Uh, or So I think, I think it was the writing was on the wall. It was on the wall for, for Otmar, and it should have been on the wall for all of us. But the key now is Aston Martin can't get the next move wrong because I don't mm-hmm. great point I don't think the plan is for Martin Whitmarsh to be that hands-on that he's going to be the day-to-day operations manager he is not going to be a team principal and they're need to going they're going to need to recruit a team principal or hire from within and they can't afford to get it wrong because if you look at the investment that Lawrence has made in this team and if you look at the expectations going into 2022 they're monumental you you can't afford to get this wrong so Maybe it's a surprise. It may, would certainly have been a surprise three or four months ago, but maybe not now. And I think you absolutely nailed it during that podcast a couple of months ago when those rumors were swirling about Alpine. And you said, hey, where there's smoke, there's fire. Somebody didn't just come up with that story. There was a leak from somewhere. Either his people were speaking to Alpine or the Alpine people were speaking to the media or somebody had commented on the fact that he wasn't happy or he was expecting his exit. It could have been as well that he knew his exit was coming three months ago and he was on a the virtual gardening leave, but mm-hmm. this is a this is a sad move because I think he's an incredibly talented individual, and I think he would be a fantastic hire for another Formula One team because he knows how to work with sponsors, he knows how to work on a budget, he knows how to work with all of the divisions within a Formula One team. He's going to be a great hire for a Formula One team. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, if he's left the team effective immediately, you would have to think that there probably is no non-compete clause or anything like that. You would think that he's basically a free agent. So it'll be interesting to see how long it is before he pops up uh, somewhere else or within the paddock or or elsewhere. But to to your point about uh, Martin Whitmarsh, I don't see Martin as a a team principal. I see him very much as a Zach Brown kind of guy, the guy at the top who's going to sort of handpick and delegate and, and build that team beneath him because I mean I, I'm a Zach Brown fanboy 100% uh, you know full disclosure on that I mean if you listen to this program regularly I'm sure that you've picked this up uh, from, from both of us I mean sometimes you know we we get labeled as uh, certain things but uh, you know this one I think sort of flies under the radar and the point is I think that Zach's done a phenomenal job he came in when McLaren was arguably at its lowest point ever right and and basically built this team back up from 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 nothing and has a you know, hired some incredible people has um, overseen a team that's built an incredible car reforged that um, that that relationship to get Mercedes power into those cars and I, I think that um, you know that's the kind of I don't want to say role model. Uh, I don't think that uh, people that that roll in those circles are, you know, they're, they're alpha dogs, right? But I think that uh, that uh, Martin Wittenmarsh will want to emulate that model that uh, that that uh, that Zach has put in place at uh, at uh, McLaren. But I couldn't help uh, but think while you were just talking about um, Aston Martin and Atmar uh, Safnauer, and. You know, I keep thinking about the chairman, right? Let's call Lawrence the chairman because that's effectively what what he is. You know, it sounds imposing. It sounds a little bit uh, kind of intimidating. And I think it's very uh, accurate. I mean, you know, he's poured in hundreds of millions of dollars or pounds or euros of his own personal money into this team. And as we've been saying for a long time, Aston Martin, both the Formula One team and the road cars, is not a passion project. This is not just something that Lawrence Stroll is doing just for fun. I mean, there is, is, is a reason why this guy has become fantastically successful and fantastically rich in the uh, the, the career and uh, businesses that he's built over the years and decades. And I, I don't see him doing anything different with, with Aston Martin, both uh, in Formula One and outside of Formula One. And I couldn't help but thinking, you know, even though he said all the right things publicly, I can't help but wonder if it was just... Perhaps it was just a bunch of things kind of like building up and perhaps he just got to the point, you know, Otmar's done a great job for Force India slash Racing Point slash at Aston Martin since he joined them back in, what was it, 2008, 2009, whatever it was, way back in the day. I mean, he's he's had a fantastic run there, but maybe uh, Lawrence was asking, is he the person that's going to be able to take this team to the next level? And I can't help but thinking... Perhaps the whole Pinka Mercedes controversy, the whole break duck uh, scandal and the deduction of points in 2020, and then just the, the, the team getting the aero package completely wrong in 21 after having, you know, a couple of very, very good years. And uh, despite the whole pink Mercedes uh, controversy, and, you know, I, I think there was too many step backwards, uh, you know, or steps backwards, I, I should say. And I, I couldn't help but think when you were saying that, or you're talking just now, Mark, if perhaps it was just these things starting to add up that, um, you know, perhaps Lawrence thought, you know, may, maybe it's time to, to, to move on from Otmar Safnauer and find somebody else that can take this team uh, from the foundation that he's built. I think you're right in the sense that that was probably his inspiration for this move, that he needed a qualified, established, experienced executive, because I think that's ultimately the role that Whitmarsh is going to play here. He's going to be the executive that starts building a team beneath him. I just, 
my apprehension towards this move is for sure, you know, Whitmarsh was the CEO of McLaren when they won a title in 08. And he was there as they transitioned into the new era in 2010. And he was there at the tail end of the V8 hybrid era. But I also look at him as a guy that was probably instrumental in building the horrendous culture that preceded the partnership Mm, with Honda. I also look at him as being the guy that was there when the team was caught cheating and fined a hundred million dollars. Like I, I just, I look at that era and I, I get it that there was, there was a title and they brought Lewis Hamilton into the sport, but he's also the guy that brought Fernando Alonso to that team and the absolute disarray that followed and the fallout from that and the cheating scandal and the fact that they were lost in the wilderness in 2010 and 11 and for much of 2012. Like to me, I look at that period. I'm like, yeah, you got a title out of this and maybe you should have had more except that you were caught cheating and you had your championship your constructors points stripped away and you were fined a hundred million dollars like to me i i think he has an extremely spotty record and obviously lawrence sees something in him as an executive and he feels confident putting him in charge of his uh formula one project but i'm deeply apprehensive of this move because i want to cheer for aston martin Mm -hmm. last year but this makes it a little bit more difficult for me yeah, you know, it's interesting, too. I mean, Martin's been uh, out of Formula One since 2014. So I think that kind of goes beyond even the generous limits of what you would call uh, gardening leave, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, that that's yeah. a year or so when you, you kind of have like those non-compete clauses and contracts and things like that. And they, they basically, you get paid at home <laughs> to stay at home before you can move on to a new team, which, you know, you, you see happen fairly regularly. It's, it's not unusual in Formula One. But to, to be out of the sport for that length of time, I mean, that is significant. I mean, that's getting pretty close to, well, not quite a decade, but uh, getting fairly close to it. So anyways, we'll, we'll see. I mean, we, we do have to kind of come up with like a pet team for this year. Last year it was Aston Martin. I don't know if I'm willing to stick with them again and kind of, uh, I've been hurt. Let's put it that way. I, I don't know if, uh, you know, as we, as I say that, I kind of uh, have the, uh, you know, last Christmas kind of running through my mind. So I don't know if I'm re- really willing to, to go back there with Aston Martin so quickly. But anyways, we'll just... Uh, Leave it right there. Park it right there. We'll we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, plenty more to talk about. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Okay, well, welcome back to the the podcast and welcome to everybody that's uh, watching live on YouTube, everybody in the live chat. Good to see you all tonight and a happy new year to uh, one and all, even though it's a a little bit uh, late. Well, I mean, we're still within the first week of 2022. I think once is within the first week of uh, the, the new year, you can still say happy new year. Anyways, I'm I'm still feeling the the, the holiday spirit here. <laughs> Anyways, um, where, where do you want to go from here, Mark? Do you want to? Is there anything that uh, we need to unpack about uh, the Otmar Safnauer story leaving uh, Aston Martin, or should we uh, move on to the next I one? Think, I think we're good. Before we do, though, I, this just flipped up in in our Twitter feed right now. It's just okay. a question. I think this will be a fun one to answer because I think we owe we owe the community some some time in the mailbox in the next couple of weeks. Oh, we, we do big time things, but yeah. Here's a question for you. Um, well, actually, it's for both of us, and I've got an answer, and I'm curious to hear yours, although I would put money on the fact that I think I know the one. So from Caleb Hotchkiss, okay. thank you so much for reaching out. Um, I barely have ever used Twitter in my life, but needed to follow you guys just to ask a question. I emailed you first, so you'll get this I got, no, 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 Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> I had this email teed up for later on. I, I know where you're going with this, and I love it. I love it. I, 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 I saw Caleb's I email. <laughs> So for everyone at home, Daily looks after the Gmail account. I look after the Twitter account. And what this means is so frustrated, so disappointed, and so disheartened was Caleb by the lack of response from the Gmail account. He had to go to Twitter to find me. So I'll, I'll, fi- I'll finish this question. I was putting words in his mouth, by the way. I've been listening to the pod since I became a fan uh, from DTS. I am Gen DTS, as you say. Ha, yeah. ha, ha. About a year ago, I love Formula One and love the pod. It, it's grown my love for everyone so much. So thank you guys. I followed you to ask a question. I'm a college student in the States studying abroad in Switzerland this next semester from February 1st to May 31st. That's awesome. My thoughts immediately went to me needing to go to a Grand Prix. I could go to Imola, Spain, or Monaco. Which one should I go to? Daily. I'll pass it over to you. Yeah. Okay. So uh, first of all, uh, if you're uh, you know still in college, and I think he said he was at the University of Minnesota, which I think is a Go Golden Gophers, uh, if I've got my uh, you know my nicknames all in uh, in order here. Anyways, Monaco would be amazing. However, for anybody on a budget, just like uh, ridiculously expensive in terms of uh, tickets and things like that. Plus, you know, you're not going to be able to stay anywhere in the principality. So you're going to be busing in and out or traveling in and out. So it may or may not uh, be too convenient. Imola is cool because, uh, you know, Historica Formula One track, we've we've been there the last uh, couple of seasons. I'm so happy to see uh, Imola back uh, on the the calendar for however long it may stay there. Uh, we'll, We'll see. Um, you know, honestly, I, I'm not too sure about like, uh, you know, prices for tickets and for uh, accommodation and getting to and from the track. But I've been to the Spanish Grand Prix. Barcelona is a world class city. It is awesome. We stayed there for, I think, a week and a half. And it, it wasn't long enough. It was part of a, a bigger trip that we made. We kind of planned, uh, you know, the, the whole trip was based around or sort of built around this uh, week and a half that we were going to be spending in Spain going. And the, you know, that, that week and a half of Spain was built around, you know, four days at the track. And Barcelona, I mean, you know, I, I can't say enough uh, good things about that. I mean, the, the, the culture, the history, you'll, you, you won't be bored there. This, uh, the track itself is uh, at Montmelo. At, uh, it's about an hour-ish outside of the city, maybe three quarters of an hour east, northeast of, uh, of Barcelona. We had no problems uh, getting there. There's, there's, there's many, many different ways that uh, you, can, uh, you can get to the track. 
we were staying right downtown near the uh, the, the main train station. I think it's called Sants or something like that. Anyways, uh, that's uh, so it was it was a, it was a convenient hub for getting uh, you know buses and trains and subways and things like that. And we took a, a shuttle bus uh, to the track, and it was awesome. Like that, we just we paid for the, the the tickets in advance. We just uh, showed up. You know, you go wait there. You know, bus comes along every fifteen minutes, takes you literally right up to the front gate. And once you're in the gate, then you know it's uh, you're, you're you're set. You can walk anywhere you need to in the, in the in the circuit there plus i mean it's it's phenomenal i mean um at that time of year the weather is uh it, it was lovely i mean i think when we went uh you know it's still about the the middle of may on the calendar extremely extremely pleasant lovely weather in barcelona at uh, at that time of year so that, that's what i'm going with what, what, what do you think mark that was going to be my assumption that's what i guessed you would go with and <laughs> wait what Going to Monaco and saying I went to a Grand Prix in Monaco is the ultimate flex because whether you bus in every single day and you have the cheapest seats imaginable or not, when you tell people you've been to Monaco, they think yachts, they think the principality, they think the royal family. So it it conveys certain emotions and certain images in somebody's head. So it's cool to say that. I just don't think it would be a great experience when you factor in the cost and the amount of time you have to get a commute in and out of the principality. Imola, obviously fantastic. and, And I think... I think the closest experience you can get to a MotoGP atmosphere in Formula One, and to me, the f- MotoGP atmosphere is kind of the pinnacle of motorsports, I think is is either Monza, Marcello, or Imola. So I think that would be a very special race. Mm-hmm. I also agree with you that if you go to if you go to Spain, you have the opportunity to experience and taste Barcelona as well. So even when you're not at the race, you can be in the city. To your point, it's 45-minute shuttle from the city. You can experience the city center. You can experience the food. So it's kind of this this uh i would say double double kind of whammy of hey you get to experience the grand prix in a track in a country that's really passionate about motorsports but you also get to experience the city which is pretty cool but i think ultimately my answer um is silverstone i think if you're if you're going to make the effort to get to imola or to get to barcelona or to get to monaco i would argue maybe take a look at silverstone as well it's not that far when you factor in the eurostar and in other transportation links like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it is incredible from an atmosphere perspective. The challenge is it's not necessarily near a city. So uh, hospitality is a little bit challenging. You can stay in Milton Keynes, but it's 45 minutes in or out and significantly longer after the Grand Prix. Or you can stay in Oxford and it's about an hour away. Um, or you can just camp at the Grand Prix like so many tens of thousands of people do. But I would seriously look at uh, Silverstone as well. But I don't think that's necessarily going to work based on the timelines that you provide unless you can squeeze an extra month out yeah. but of the three that you listed I think I would probably lean mostly towards Spain just because you get the opportunity to taste Barcelona as well yeah exactly and while you're in Barcelona make sure you go to the Museum of Jamon that's uh, always a, a tasty excursion okay well that's uh, awesome thanks for the uh, for the message Caleb and you're, you're totally inside my head now it's kind of freaking me out but uh, <laughs> that's cool I literally had that email all teed up uh, for the end of the show so you beat me to it but uh, awesome okay now I don't I don't really want to talk about this one I, I'm, I'm kind of you know tired of this uh, subject but hey what the hell let's uh, l- let's try and tackle it anyways Anyways, uh, the team principals in Formula 1 have uh, some big concerns and worries about uh, the calendar and the pandemic and uh, all this. And, uh, you know, it just, uh, you know, we're... I, I feel like we're, we're we've kind of regressed to like 2020, you know, with the, this whole Omicron wave and stuff like that. And uh, I'm just whole fed up, uh, you know, completely fed up with the whole thing. And 
I just hate yeah. seeing things like this. I mean, obviously it comes down to the health and safety of people, but I just, you know, I'm tired of this groundhog day of, uh, of COVID and you know, the, the whole, you know, how's it going to affect formula one? I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm extremely grateful that in the early days of the pandemic, they were able to cobble together a season, a 17 race season, which was a pretty good year, all things considering. I mean, we, we had some double races at Spielberg and at Silverstone, but hey, you know what? Beggars can't be choosers, especially in when you're uncharted dead territories like that. But I mean, fast forward two years down the road, and I, I think not only do I speak for myself, but probably pretty one, you know, pretty much everyone here is that I'm just tired of this story, man. <laughs> I just wish we could move on, but sadly, it's a little bit uh, out of our hands. And when this thing is done with us, it'll be done with us, uh, done with us. And until then, we just have to, you know, try and make best uh, as we can, right? Yeah, I my sentiment's very much the same as yours. And don't get me wrong, I, I'm pro-public health, pro-masking, pro-vaccine, but I, I feel like I, I'm done with this, that I, I want to move on. <laughs> you know, I look at the I look at the F1 2022 calendar though, and I don't see a ton of Grand Prix at that risk. Like we we start the campaign 74 days away from today, 73 days away from when people will be listening and consuming this podcast. Yeah. We're still 73 days away from Bahrain. Bathrain's happening no matter what. It's not in a city center. It's not near a populated urban core. I think F1 and Liberty were really strategic to kick off the season in Bahrain. A week after Bahrain, we're in Saudi Arabia. I can say we're probably pretty confidently going to see those two races. I think in the early part of the calendar, the races that would probably be at risk would be Australia. Maybe... Maybe Imola, I think Miami's going ahead no matter what. They've simply invested too much. I think if we were going to see significant restrictions and lockdowns in Florida, we would have seen it by now. So I think that happened. Hey, I mean, turn on and the TV any point, Sunday. I mean, you can go watch an NFL game and the stadium's packed, right? Which is such a contrast to Canada where we are not allowing any spectators in any games in Toronto, in Quebec. So if you go to a Raptors game, no fans. Maple Leaf game, no fan. Go to a Habs game. I don't even know if they're allowing them to happen, but probably no fans. Whereas you're right. Well, the Maple Leafs and no fans, that doesn't have anything to do with COVID, you know, but. uh. come on. There's a lot of well-heeled lawyers <laughs> that have tickets. But, oh. but you're right. Like the contrast to the states is every NFL stadium is full. Every yeah. NBA arena is full. Um, NHL ranks, some of them are full uh, if they're not named Arizona. But I, I think I think the real event that's probably going to be at risk is Australia. Yeah. And maybe they need to get a little creative as the campaign goes on. But you have to assume we get through the fifth wave. Then we get into the summer months when people are outside. They're not congregating indoors as much. So is there going to be some jumbling? For sure. I would be very surprised if this absolutely extensive, exhaustive 23 race calendar goes Mm -hmm. off without a hitch. But uh, we got 22 races this year in the middle of a pandemic. Exactly. And you know what, when I look at the schedule, very much like yourself, I'm concerned that uh, Australia might not go off. I mean, we'll have to call Stewart and and find out, uh, you know, from somebody that's on the ground uh, that that lives in Melbourne and is, uh, you know, a very accomplished and very connected F1 journo and find out what's going on there. But I mean, I'm, you know, at, at this point in time, and I know we're still two months out from that race there, or actually three months out from, from the formula one race, but I'm, I'm a little bit uh, positive that, um, that, that it might go ahead because, you know, the tennis is happening right now. So that, you know, that's, that's a big marquee event. So I'm hoping that if they can, you know, if they can, you know, they can pull off the Australian open, that gives me hope that, um, you know, we, we can move through this current, uh, you know, Omicron wave and, uh, that perhaps three months down the road, 
we're going to be in a better place and hopefully we, we can get that race in. But, you know, like I, I agree with a lot of things that uh, you were saying, especially like Miami, I, Coda, I don't see those like races getting uh, postponed. You know, I, I'm a little bit, um, I have to say my spidey sense is tingling negatively when I look at Canada and Montreal. I mean, just what, what's based on uh, what, what's going there. I mean, I, I just couldn't see that one going off behind uh, closed doors. I mean, the, the, the organizers haven't had a race there in two years now. And I'm sure that they're going to get bums in seats. Uh, and I mean, it just wouldn't be the, the, the same without it. So th- those are the, the two that I'm looking at sort of suspect in the first half of the season. And then, like you say, when, when you get to the summer months and people are outside and you get out of the, uh, you know, and I hate that I'm so familiar with things like, well, you know, we get to the summer. It's not really the time of year you see respiratory illness, you know, because it's been drummed into my head, you know, so much, uh, you know, through uh, the, the past couple of years. But it's true. I mean, you, you get out of cold and flu season and you would think that you shouldn't have issues when you go to Silverstone or Austria and France and Belgium and all these uh, places. And then uh, we'll see what happens at, at the tail end of the year. But uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, like I say, it just uh, th- this whole topic really wears on me now. <laughs> and I, I just hope that COVID's done with us Moving a lot on. sooner next, than later. Yes. So this next subject's fun. Let's move to that. Yeah, exactly. So if anybody out there was wanting to see a Formula One film project involving Brad Pitt, sounds like that you're going to get uh, your wish because it sounds like Apple is getting involved to produce a, a Formula One themed movie and starring Brad Pitt, which is, uh, you know, re- really, really cool. And uh, this follows up what was uh, a pretty intense bidding war between major film studios and streaming services and... You know, I can't help but thinking that they're kind of building a little bit on the hype that um, that was DTS, you know, the whole phenomenon of uh, Formula One over the past 12 to 18 months. Definitely. I'm excited for this one. It's being led by Jerry Bruckheimer. Jerry Bruckheimer is absolutely the, the master of doing stylistic, uh, I would say, heavily uh, color-graded uh epic masterpieces of action and fury. So I'm excited to see what he can piece together here. Of course, he did Days of Thunder back with Tom Cruise in 1990. Speculated, reported, confirmed, Brad Pitt's going to star in this. Brad Pitt is himself a huge motorsports fan. I specifically recall, because I have it on Blu-ray, back in 2015, he narrated the MotoGP documentary Hitting the Apex, which was fantastic. Mm -hmm. He absolutely did he did that documentary, the justice and honor and respect it deserves. So I'm excited for this. Apparently the production budget's well over $100 million US. And I think you're right. It's very much riding on the Formula One. Actually, I think it's pushing $150 million, starting to jump in there. I mean, that's a, that's a yeah. big time budget for a film. Definitely. And when you think about, hey, usually from a marketing perspective, they'll spend a dollar on marketing for every dollar they spend on production. They're going to invest $300 million in this. And I think Apple is going to use this very much as their tentpole for 2023 or 2022, whenever it gets released. But it's cool. What's most interesting about this, though, is it's now being widely reported that the story is very much going to be about Brad Pitt, a former F1 driver, coming back to Formula One to help mentor a young Formula One driver. Now, if this sounds familiar, it is absolutely because the storyline is almost identical to Sylvester Stallone's 2001 film, Driven, Hmm. when a retired kart driver comes back to the kart series to help mentor a young driver. So by all accounts, it is effectively a remake, but transitioning from the world of kart 
into the world of Formula One. And apparently Lewis Hamilton does have a small role or could possibly have a small role in this film. But I would assume that's him playing himself. You know, uh, I I hope that they knock it out of the park uh, with this one because, you know, for me, the gold standard of Formula One movies is uh, is Rush that uh, came out in, what, 2013-ish? You know, the 2013, 2013 yep. the, the retelling of that uh, epic uh, title battle in 1976 between Nicky Lauda and James Hunt. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It is well worth your time. And, uh, you know, that that sort of era in Formula One, it's, it's kind of like the golden days of uh, Formula One. You know, it, it's kind of, I think, what we all sort of that that sort of that vibe, that whole feel around that era of uh, Formula One is, uh, I think, what a lot of us uh, associate or, or think of when we, we, we think of the sport, right? Can I have a hot take on Rush? Yeah, so go for I it. I love Rush. It's f- fantastic. I don't think we deserve that film. I don't think that... I th- I kind of feel like the studio was bamboozled by Ron Howard, that this is a passion <laughs> project because he's such a fan of F1. Yeah. And he convinced them to make that movie because especially in 2013, there wasn't a ton of commercial appeal for that. I, I saw it in the cinema because I'm a-, a big fan of Ron Howard in Formula One, but I don't think there was an audience for it then. There probably... He was ahead of his time for now. sure. A hundred percent. And he absolutely did that story justice Mm -hmm. and he respected the material. And it's also absolutely beautiful the way they piece together the races, the actual racing Mm -hmm. experience from from that era. Fantastic. So to your point, if you haven't seen Rush, it's on, I think, most streaming platforms and it's on Netflix in the US right now, I believe. Definitely worth checking out. But as for the Brad Pitt, Jerry Bruckheimer project, super pumped for that. Yeah, well, I mean, just going back to the Rush, I mean, they they were true to the story. I mean, and uh, the, the, the detail that they put into it was just uh, was phenomenal. The casting was fantastic, and just uh, the the whole way the the the, the cinematography of, around it, the production value was just uh, absolutely uh, top notch. Anyways, uh, let's take another uh, quick break. We'll be back in a moment to talk about wheel covers and why they were banned and why they're back in Formula One. So don't go away. We'll be right back in just a short moment. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, well, welcome back to the show. And yes, well, Formula One is reintroducing wheel covers for 2022. And, you know, there, there are so many different changes uh, that, uh, that that are being introduced uh, this year. And uh, this is one of them. And, you know, there, there's so many things that uh, are going to be different on the cars uh, this year that, uh, you know, without a list, I'm going to need a cheat sheet, I think, uh, for at least the first six months of the year just to keep up with all the changes, apart from the power units, which are the same and are going to stay the same at least until 25. Uh, But this is one of them. Why don't you take this one away, Mr. H? Yeah, so this is something I'm, I'm passionate about. One, because... 
I'm still very skeptical about the sports move to 18 inch wheels. I get it. I get it. It's all about enabling Pirelli to do a better job of selling tires because it's very hard to sell Pirelli tires in a normal tire shop when the F1 equivalents are attached to a 13-inch wheel when your typical crossover these days has 18, 19, 20, 21-inch wheels. So Mm -hmm. by transitioning to 18-inch wheels, you get some commonality between a Formula One car and a road car, which should presumably make it a little bit easier to to cross-sell and sell Pirelli tires in a showroom. So I get that. That said, I do love big wheels. I'm a huge fan. And I remember 20 years ago, I remember getting by my first set of 17-inch wheels with a polished lip. I was never into chrome, but polished 17-inch aluminum wheel with low-profile tires. So I'm I'm excited to see what an 18-inch wheel looks like. Yeah. Now, the news is here is we're not going to get to see an 18-inch wheel. And it's because Formula One is going to adopt wheel covers. Now, we've seen wheel covers before. We saw them as recently as 2009. Yep. Now, teams have experimented with them. Ferrari's experimented with them. Braun probably is the wheel cover that most people remember from 2009 because they had the bright yellow. Yeah, the Volt yellow. That was awesome. They were hot. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I love that color. But the principal reason that they were introducing them back then was because they had found that there were some aerodynamic benefits by inserting veins into the wheel covers. Now, the challenge with wheel covers is that they added an incredibly expensive component to F1 cars, and they were kicking up a tremendous amount of outwash based on the veins and based on the aerodynamic features that were being included on them. So the actual wheel covers in the way they were being designed and engineered and executed was kicking out outwash, which was making it more difficult for cars to overtake. So going into 2010, going into 2011, F1 was desperately trying to reconfigure the cars. And this is something that will be familiar to all of us. Back then, 10, 11 years ago, F1 was desperately trying to find ways to make it easier to overtake. So these highly convoluted, complex wheel covers that teams were introducing was making overtaking even more difficult because these wheel covers were kicking up so much dirty air. Hmm. So The challenge now is that the 13-inch wheels on an F1 car, the wheels themselves, the spokes on the wheels, and even the tire wall, they kick up a little bit of dirty air. And we talked about this with Bryson Sullivan on Spaces tonight. They kick up a little bit of dirty air. The problem is because we're now transitioning from a 13-inch wheel to an 18-inch wheel, that problem of the spokes on the rims kicking up dirty air and outwash is actually being amplified. Mm -hmm. So the wheel covers that are being introduced are designed specifically to minimize that outwash. So the whole point of this new generation of cars is to eliminate that dirty air and make overtaking more more accessible, more plausible, more likely. So the reason we're going to see wheel covers now is specifically to limit and reduce some of that dirty air and that outwash that's going to be kicked up on the side of the cars. So unlike in the past where they were being designed for aerodynamic functionality that would benefit the car, this time around around, they're being designed and incorporated and executed principally to eliminate some of that dirty air. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot here because I haven't had a chance to really look into this topic uh, too deeply, but uh, you've explained like the arrow part of it really nicely. Putting those wheel covers on, does that introduce any uh, issues with the cooling for the brakes and any of the airflow around the brakes? Any idea on that? So that's a really good point. And when we first saw wheel covers implemented in Formula One, it was by Ferrari back in 90, I think at the Italian Grand Prix at Monza. Yeah, a long time ago. They they ran them. 
Yeah, they ran them in qualifying. And I believe the way they were executed then was that they were effectively static. So they didn't rotate with the wheel. Or sorry, they were uh, they weren't static. They so they did rotate with the wheel. But the problem is while they tested them out in qualifying, the brakes overheated so badly they couldn't actually incorporate them into race trim. Hmm. Um, so what we're going to see now is a design that will enable the brakes to continue to breathe. And of course, we have more advanced brake ducting and other yeah, technologies. Of course. But there shouldn't be there shouldn't be any implication on braking overheating because to your point and i think we've all seen it when a formula one car is braking under heavy load or sometimes even when they're not under full load you can see those brakes glowing and those wheels need an opportunity to discharge some of that heat because if they don't discharge that heat the brakes are likely to overheat which reduces brake effectiveness which will ultimately damage tires as well but by all accounts and i'm probably not the right person to speak to this they shouldn't introduce any complications with regards to uh the brake system retaining excess heat Okay, well, that's interesting. That's uh, good to know. And like I say, it's just uh, one of those, uh, another bullet point on this whole long list of things that uh, I have to remember that are changing on the cars uh, this year. Hey, do you want to move on to a, a story of the little guy winning winning one? You want to you want to go there? Sure, why not? You, you see, kind of like, yeah, okay, sure, I'm sure. good with that. Okay. Anyways, yeah. well, I mean, uh, nobody in Formula One is really a little guy, but I guess some teams are much more littler than others. So, you know, I, I'm starting to sound talk like my children. Anyways, Williams have won a legal decision to the benefit of thirty five million dollars uh, that, uh, in, well, goes against their former title uh, sponsor, Rocket. Uh, they'd uh, joined forces with Williams at the beginning of uh, twenty nineteen. It was a three-year contract, and they were actually extended the deal through 2023, and or at least that's what everybody thought at the time. And then when the start of the 2020 season was uh, postponed uh, or put on hold until the you know because of the start of the pandemic and everything like that, they all of a sudden split. Uh, Rocket uh, pulled out. Anyways, uh, this one went to court, and uh, at the London Court of International Arbitration uh, earlier this week, uh, the, uh, the the judge there had uh, ordered Rocket to pay Williams roughly 26.2 million pounds as well as $1 million uh, bonus payment. So <laughs> this is, wow, big money. But I mean, uh, you know, it's it's funny. I mean, we, we talk, it's not, it's not really funny, but uh, we, we talk about uh, how, you know, every single penny is crucial for, for you know, a Formula One team. And that really came at a very, very difficult time for Williams. I mean, at the start of the pandemic, I mean, revenues were down across the board everywhere. I mean, as the economies crashed because of the, uh, COVID and all the shutdowns and stuff like that. I mean, to lose that money from from a title sponsor at that point, I mean, that, that was just uh, huge. Anyways, they were uh, expected to pay Williams in installments uh, between three and a half to five million uh, pounds uh, as part of their title sponsorship agreement. So just uh, think of that money that they've uh, missed out and what uh, <laughs> you know they, they could have done uh, with that. But uh, anyhow, I think that's uh, I, I think that's kind of a good one because it, it felt kind of dirty at the yeah. time. I have to admit. Yeah, it is funny, though, that we refer to Williams as one of the little guys when this this is a team that's won seven drivers championships, nine constructors titles, 114 race victories. They've scored 313 podiums. But I think relative to their performance since 2017, it's probably apt to call them one of the little guys, right? Like we were all cheering the fact that they finished eighth last year with 23 championship points. But it was tough, right? And that relationship got off to a rocky start because if you recall the beginning of 2019, Williams didn't even show up for winter 
testing. The <laughs> development of their car yeah. was so atrociously bad, they showed up late and couldn't even get the car onto the track for the first couple of days. So this was the team of all of the teams that so desperately needed to shake down that 2019 Challenger, and they showed up late. And it was embarrassing for the team. I think it was embarrassing for the, the leadership. I think it was embarrassing for the Williams family. And I think ultimately Rocket probably looked at that and saw, oh, this isn't going to be good. But it is interesting because initially it was a three-year deal that was extended to a fourth and then abruptly Rocket pulled out. But one of the things that I thought was really interesting were a lot of our, our community members that were at the Grand Prix in Austin this year remarked that they were still selling Williams gear with Rocket branding all over it. Oh, really? I just thought, oh, that's so embarrassing that Williams isn't in a position where they could simply afford to write off all of that ugly old rocket merch and just get fresh merch into the booth. And maybe it was nothing to do with Williams and maybe it was the vendors or the suppliers, but I thought that was a little bit embarrassing that a, a principal sponsor that wanted to depart so quickly mm -hmm. still adorned their merch that was being sold. Um, the other thought too was, or the other consideration or the rumor at the time was that Rocket was actually gonna go and link up with Mercedes. That's right. They certainly weren't gonna be a title sponsor didn't seem to happen. And I think it was principally because the fallout from them abandoning their title sponsorship with Williams and going to Mercedes, who is the engine supplier of Williams, would have been a really, really bad look. Yeah, that, that you know that's uh, that, that's a great point that uh, that you brought up there, and it, that just uh, you know that that felt really dirty as well when uh, you know they they walked away from Williams and that title sponsorship, and then you know literally a week or two later, it's uh, you know these you know. I don't know if it's clickbait, but one of these, uh, you know, these stories start uh, percolating up through the F1 consciousness that, uh, you know, perhaps something's in the works uh, with uh, Mercedes. I'm just like, oh, you know, that's, uh, that, that just, uh, yeah, that just did not uh, sit well with me. Next story, Martin Brundle, Sky Sports uh, color commentator for Formula One race broadcast and former race driver himself believes that it's not a case of saying goodbye to Honda, but more of a case of um, see you for now and perhaps we'll see you again uh, in, in the future, which, you know, seems a little counterintuitive because uh, Honda said they're pulling out of Formula One, at least for now, uh, to focus uh, exclusively on their road car division. And um, I'm not really too sure to, to, to make of this. I mean, they are going to have a uh, basically a, uh, a working relationship with Red Bull or Red Bull powertrains or whatever they're calling it until 2025. Uh, basically, they've taken over that IP, but uh, Red Bull is not allowed to do anything with it. They're not allowed to take this, uh, you know, any of the, the, the Honda's. Uh, you know, stuff and start to use it to build their own engine after 2025. So this is, this is interesting. What, what do you make of this one, Mark? You know, we've actually got a couple of Honda stories here. And in the interest of time, since I realized that we're 50 minutes in and about a quarter of the way through our, <laughs> through our topics, I'll mash these three, these three topics together. Okay, go for I it. I think it's, it's interesting because for sure, you and I, in recent history, have seen Honda leave the sport three times. They they left in the early 90s. I've lost count, back man. Back in the mid-2000s. And they came back in the mid-2000s. They had a, a factory team, and then they had a B team. And then at the cusp of the global financial crisis, they exited the sport. Hmm. They handed Ross Braun $100 million and said, hey, run the team for a year. And then they came back at a super inopportune time with the wrong team, and it was a disaster with McLaren. And then they make the transition to Red Bull within three seasons they won a world drivers championship which is fantastic the other piece that's really interesting is there was a story printed in the Netherlands this week which indicated that 
the relationship between Red Bull and the relationship with Honda may be a little bit longer than we expected. So it was announced earlier this year that Honda would continue to build and supply engines to Red Bull for 2022. So we knew that gradually everything was going to be transitioned over to the Red Bull powertrain engineering division. It was then announced that Honda would continue to supply the power units in 2023. Now, the, the dynamic, the relationship would be different. So at this point, Red Bull is going to be buying power units. So throughout the relationship so far, Honda has been a title sponsor. Their branding has been on their cars. Their name has been in the team name. Red Bull hasn't been paying for power units. Now they are. But what was rumored and what was reported this week is that Honda will continue to supply power units out of their facility in Japan right until the end of this power unit formula. So right through the end of 2025. So we knew they were going to keep getting the engines from Honda for 2022 without the Honda branding. We knew they were going to get them for 2023. But it sounds like now until at least the new power unit formula kicks in in 2026, they'll continue to buy the power units from Honda from their facility in Japan, which hmm. is quite different than I think we expected because yeah. our understanding was that, hey, we, Red Bull, will buy the IP. So think blueprints. We will buy the blueprints to your engine. We will then build our own facility to create and manufacture those engines. And then in 2026, we'll use our new factory to build an entirely new engine that we designed from the ground up. Now it seems more like Honda in quiet, without any branding and without any acknowledgement, will continue to sell the engines that they've already been building to Red Bull and Red Bull will use their new facility to start designing and prepping their engine for 2026. Now, none of this has been confirmed, but it has been reported pretty widely this week that that is going to be the case. So very, very interesting. So if people had any qualms or concerns about Red Bull taking over the construction, the manufacture of the engines using the existing IP, maybe that can be put to rest because if Honda is going to continue to provide them with the same power unit, maybe it speaks well to some degree of consistency in the next couple of years. Yeah, interesting. Eh? Hey, anyways, uh, just uh, I just want to throw a quick shout out to Brad in Pittsburgh, hopped in uh, to the live stream. It must be like 1.30 in the morning back east. So uh, good to see uh, Bitter Brad uh, checking in and uh, <laughs> very interesting. Cool, but that... that Awesome. The, the you know, those uh, you know when it comes to talking about uh, the, this whole Red Bull Honda story. I mean, it, it, it it's interesting as it um, continues to unfold, and it, it just it kind of really makes me wonder because we were speculating before Christmas with the whole possibility of the VW Group coming into Formula One, and the fact that uh, Honda wasn't going to let uh, Red Bull use any of that uh, information to build their own engines from 2026. It was like, hey, if you want to design and build your own engines, you know, go for it, but you're not using any of our uh, materials. Material, and we thought, well, maybe this is just going to be a stopgap. Then they're going to be using these rebadged Honda engines with a Red Bull logo on them, and then maybe they're going to partner up with uh, Audi or Porsche or you know, whoever you know that comes into Formula One. So it, it's interesting how this story continues to unfold and evolve every week and month. It's it's quite unusual. Okay, well, uh, still quite a number of things. Let's just take a quick break and then we'll come back uh, because I, you know, I hinted at nicely, uh, but I do want to talk about uh, the Volkswagen uh, move and uh, or rumored move into Formula One. So we'll do that in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back.
All right. Well, welcome back to the show. And Stefano Domenicali, Formula One CEO, said uh, earlier this week that it would be great, and uh, using the uh, inverted commas here, would be great if uh, Volkswagen uh, enters Formula One, specifically the Porsche and Audi brands uh, that have been uh, rumored to be involved in talks about uh, entering Formula One as an engine supplier. So he says, and this is uh, Domenicali, says it is an important month ahead for the VW group and uh, where they may go in uh, in the future, whether or not to to enter Formula One. And this one seems to be dragging out uh, quite a while. Wasn't uh, there supposed to be some big uh, high-level meeting in Wolfsburg at the beginning of December specifically? I mean, that's what the rumor was, that they were going to have a big big meeting there to decide what they're going to do. So, I mean, that, this one's already, uh, you know, basically a month in the rearview mirror. And Domenico Cali said it's like a, an important month uh, coming up uh, ahead. I mean, you know, again, like, uh, you know, to, to use all, all, all of the you know, beloved metaphors of, uh, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, which has been used at least once already in this uh, show. But hey, it's early in the new year. So we're allowed to, uh, you know, draw on uh, old things before we hit uh, mid-season or before we hit our peak, you know, sometimes time probably well never uh, <laughs> anyhow I, I think it is interesting that uh, this one is still going around and I, I would think that you know if they're going to get on board it just seems logical that they're going to want to do it as soon as convenient because regardless if they're going to you know they're not going to enter the sport until 2026 there's a lot of R&D that needs to be done between then and now and if you want to get it right uh, developing a power unit just ask Honda how you know <laughs> how, how bad it is to come into Formula One not completely prepared and not having your power unit at uh, its most evolved let's put it that way if if f1 has been courting volkswagen for the better part of the last three or four years there's nothing else they could have done i think volkswagen was very clear as far back as 2019 that were there were certain things that were functioning as a hurdle to them joining the sport and and one of those was the complexity of the power units specifically the mguh and Formula One acknowledged that, and we now know that the next engine formula what that is going to be introduced in 2026 won't feature the MGUH. And I think if you went to Honda slash Red Bull, and I think if you went to Alpine, if you went to Mercedes and you went to Ferrari, I think all of them would have preferred to keep it because they've invested tens of millions of dollars <laughs> exactly. in that technology for Formula One. But all of them made the acknowledgement that it's good for the sport to have more engine manufacturers and that to get one, they needed to compromise and ditch the MGUH. So I don't think they would have done that unless there were some sort of verbal or handshake agreement that Volkswagen was going to join. I think the question now is, what does that look like when it happens? Do they come in as a fully fledged works team and, and create a new team from the ground up with a new factory and develop their own power unit, which they can then sell on to customer teams? Do they buy an existing team or do they simply come in as a power unit supplier? None of this is known, but a article out of a French auto magazine earlier this week suggested that what could be happening is this, and it could be that the Volkswagen Group has, and this is what's been reported, and I can't speak to the authenticity of the story, but what Auto Journal in France is reporting is that Porsche will now be positioned as the company's endurance division. So hmm, okay. this will be the group 
that takes over all of their endurance motorsports operations, and that Audi, specifically Audi, will be positioned as their Formula One entry. So we've heard rumors that both Porsche and Audi would be involved. Now, they would not be developing separate power units. They would develop a common power unit and just brand it separately. But it's now being rumored that only Audi will join. And increasingly, because of the connections that Yost at uh, at Williams has with the Volkswagen Group, it's becoming increasingly clear that Williams could be a partner team or possibly even an acquisition target. But my sense has always been that if I'm Volkswagen and I'm going to go through the monumental effort of developing a power unit, because like you said, it takes years to develop a power unit from the ground up. If I'm going through all the effort of developing a power unit, why not just go through the extra effort of building a team? Because your performance then is not hinged directly to the performance of a factory that you can't necessarily control in the direction of a leadership team that you don't necessarily have direct control over. So I think that Williams will be tied up in whatever this outcome is, whether they're simply buying engines from Volkswagen or they're a takeover or acquisition target, which is maybe perhaps why Dalton became involved in F1 because they saw that this could be an opportunity to spruce up their their new asset and sell it on. But hopefully we'll learn more. Now, I don't think we're going to learn more than an official confirmation that they're going to participate in Formula One. But I think to your point, I think it's going to have to become pretty clear pretty quickly how they're going to be involved with the sport. Yeah, you know, it it is interesting too. But, uh, you know, I I think that uh, coming in under the guise of Audi makes sense because, I mean, way back, and I think this is like pre-World War II, I mean, Audi was in Formula One or what was Formula One back then as uh, auto union. So, I mean, th- that is a, uh, you know, historical tie-in. Very so, cool. you know, I, I can see that, but, uh, you know, it- it's very interesting to see where this is going to go and where it's, uh, you know, it- it's interesting, like this, uh, that that story you were just uh, referencing that Porsche is going to be their endurance uh, brand and, you know, like, uh, you know, WEC and, uh, you know, IMSA and all those uh, different, uh, you know, uh, formulas and races and things like that. So again, this is one, you know, all we can say is just, uh, you know, keep your eyes peeled uh, and just uh, keep watching out for the news because, you know, th- this, you know, has, it'll be a groundbreaker. I mean, it'll be very, very big. And I mean, and as you so correctly mentioned just now, Mark, the fact that uh, the Ferrari, Mercedes, etc., are all willing to dump this MGUH, which, uh, like you say, they've they've poured a fortune into developing to encourage other you know manufacturers to come into the sport. I think is uh, you know it's it's unprecedented, really, because it's it's not very Formula One at all to uh, to do something like that. So it, it is interesting to see these other manufacturers, you know, willing to make these big concessions to get these guys uh, to come in. Hey, th- this is interesting here. So so Brad was uh, just to uh, pop something into the live uh, stream here. And I didn't pick up on this myself. So uh, Brad says, have you guys noticed the Honda TV ads that have been running for the last few months, which have all been, hey, look at all the different kinds of vehicles we make and heavily feature F1 cars in the ads just as they're pulling out of uh, Formula One. You know, honestly, I didn't pick up on that. I, you know, I have this, uh, you know, this habit of uh, recording everything on the PVR and then just kind of skipping through the uh, the ads. Did you pick up on that at all, Mark? Had you seen those that uh, that Brad's talking about? 
I haven't, and I think it's principally because I cut cable a very long time okay. ago and I stream everything. So, and, and that's not a dig at anybody. It's just I can't afford cable. <laughs> so I have to be very selective with, with what I do stream. But I certainly haven't picked up on that, no. But it would make sense if that's what's happening on uh, broadcast television. Yeah, but that, that's kind of cool, though. I mean, uh, it, it's kind of, well, ironic, I think, is probably the best way to describe it, that uh, you know they're on the verge of uh, walking out the door and they're flexing on their F1 connection. So certainly when I sit down... Uh, you know, over the next couple of days, over the weekend, and watch TV. I'll certainly keep an eye out for that and see if uh, any of these ads uh, pop up. Okay, so we've talked about Audi. What's the next one? So, okay, outside interests are pushing traditional F1 venues to step up. So this is a uh, this is kind of a cool one. Uh, do you want to talk about this one, Mark? Yeah, I'll take us back to a podcast last summer where we were taking some listener questions and somebody okay. had asked, and I apologize, I can't remember who, but somebody had asked us a question that, hey, you know what, why don't track, why don't tracks regularly invest in upgrades and enhancements and improvements? And if a track knows it's deficient or lacking in a specific area, why then do why don't they go about fixing that? And I had this long rambling soliloquy about economics and if there's no motivation to do it, why would they do it? Yeah, fair enough. Ultimately, they're just going to sell the same amount of tickets. And then weeks later, Yas Marina announced a pretty revolutionary change to their layout. And there was absolutely no requirement or expectation that they would do that, but they invested in the track because they recognized that it would make for better Grand Prix racing. And I think this is an interesting story because what it's hinting at is all of a sudden there's so much demand to bring Formula One to new places and there's potential race organizers looking to build and, and massively improve existing tracks to attract Formula One that all of a sudden the pressures on those places that have an existing Formula One race, if that makes sense. So all of a sudden, if if I'm Canada, well, you know what, that, that paddock upgrade that I dragged my feet on for years and finally did in the most MVP, minimal viable product fashion ever, well, <laughs> that's not going to fly anymore no. because you're going to have these other countries and you're going to have the Las Vegases of the world that are itching to get an event. And all of a sudden it becomes a bidding war where in the past, if I'm Canada and it's 2018, maybe I have a little bit of leverage when I'm negotiating with Liberty about a contract to keep a race but all of a sudden, all of that leverage swings in the favor of Liberty in the sense that, hey, look, not only do we want $40 million from you every single year as a point of reference, but we also expect significant upgrades to the track mm -hmm. because we demand and expect better racing because that's what our global viewership expects. So I think, one, it puts pressure on existing venues to improve those venues because all of a sudden, when it goes to, when it comes time to negotiate a contract to continue hosting a, a race, it's no longer longer just about dollars and cents anymore but i think liberty and the fia can really start leaning into some of these traditional venues to to perform upgrades whether it's to the pits and the garages to the hospitality areas whether it's the grandstands whether it's the runoff areas whether it's smoothing out corners to make for better overtaking i think we could be seeing a a golden age and a boom and if you look back at major North American sports in the early and the mid nineties, all of a sudden, all of the teams simultaneously recognize that, Hey, I can go to the County or the city or the state and say, Hey, build me a new arena or I'm going to move. And they had all the leverage. And we saw this building boom sure. of new venues throughout the mid nineties, because all of a sudden these counties and these cities and these states were terrified that they would lose their professional NBA team or their NFL team. So they were shelling out hundreds of millions of dollars of taxpayer money to keep teams. And I think 
all of a sudden we're going to see something like this in F1 where, hey, we've had tracks that have been on the calendar for years or decades just because they were willing to pony up the 20 or $30 million a year for hosting fees. But now all of a sudden we could see some pretty dramatic improvements. And I think Yoss is the perfect example because Yoss and the, the race organizers well, have all maybe the you're, in the world. Maybe not because I think for years from now when we're saying, hey, you remember back in 21 when they made all those changes to Yoss Marina? What a fantastic uh, circuit that became because then, you know, Max fans are be yeah yeah max won his first championship and lewis fans will be like lewis got screwed so you know, uh, yeah. but uh well let, let's look at those things in <laughs> you gotta look at those I in just, isolation I, I think, but you know, you know it's, it's a great call see some pretty big boom yeah yeah, yeah no I, I think it's great too i mean unfortunately we didn't see it at melbourne uh, last year because it got uh, you know washed out uh, off the uh, off the calendar but we saw the changes in uh, in barcelona we saw well i mean zanfort was basically new because we hadn't been there since like 1984 1985 but uh, you know, the bank cornering there, the changes they made at Yas. You know, Yas was never my favorite track to uh, to watch. I was, you know, sometimes, you know, if the, the, the championship has been uh, decided, it's a bit anticlimactic uh, to begin with. But, you know, when it's not the, the, the most exciting track to watch, it was kind of made it uh, for you know, not the most exciting spectacle, but until we had all that controversy, you know, a month and a half ago or whenever it was, I, I really enjoyed the way that the, the cars really flow around that track now. And, and, and hopefully that, uh, it keeps up and that, uh, that these new cars, uh, you know, are, are just as suited to the, 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 the circuits and all the changes. And hopefully we do get to Australia off the ground and up and running this year because, um, the, the, the changes that they were going to implement on, uh, the track there at Albert Park looked like it would, uh, be quite positive and yeah maybe that's what they need to do like you say that uh, if um, well what were, what were they flexing on a couple of years ago they said that there's like 40 venues globally that were interested in hosting a formula one race and that was in addition to all the ones that were already on the calendar back in 18 or 19 or whatever it was yep. and i mean they were they, they were flexing on that quite a bit there's just uh, i think that was maybe a bit of a hint as well as that you know if you want to keep your race you know you know <laughs> prove us uh, prove to us why you deserve it so yeah. It's it's why the NFL was so happy to have LA vacant as a market for almost two decades. Oh, sure, right. Every team that was in a position to negotiate for a new venue would get the new venue because every single city and county and state knew that if they didn't cave and give that team a new venue or sweetheart deal on a lease, they're just going to go to LA. So I think the NFL was very happy to have that market vacant for so many years. But I think that's the exact same point that you're just making, which is F1 can now say, hey, we've got 40 venues ready to go. We have 40 organizations ready to mm -hmm. cut a check to bring F1 there. You better cut a check that's of equal value and upgrade your facility. Yeah. Give us something, uh, make it worth our while to go there for you know, a whole host of reasons. Now, another venue that's uh, attempting possibly to get back on the calendar is the Nürburgring. I would love to see this as everybody on this uh, and the show knows that uh, I have professed my love for the Nürburgring almost ad nauseum. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful place. I mean, it is a little bit difficult to, to get to. I mean, it's set out there really in the middle of nowhere in the Eiffel Mountains in, in Germany, but it's uh, obviously got a lot of historical value to it. I mean, it's not on the old uh, Nordschleife, the, uh, you know, like the 16-minute lap, basically running between stone walls and big hedges and everything that's you know, probably wrong and dangerous about uh, motor racing, but uh, is pretty iconic in and of uh, of itself. But uh, this would be kind of cool. I, I still think it's weird that you have, uh, you know, 
a, a country in Germany that uh, you know has had such an impact on uh, the the automobile and motor racing in, in general and uh, leaders that they are in the uh, the automotive industry and they don't have a formula 1 race and uh, i mean there have been races there over the past uh, several years but it's been a little bit hit and miss so I, I hope it comes back. Whether or not it does uh, remains to be seen. But, um, you know, at least this guy here is hopeful it will be. It is remarkable. You're right. Yeah. Uh, okay. So that was the Nürburgring. Oh, yeah. So th- this should be, uh, th- this is always uh, a fun one to talk about. So Formula, or sorry, Ferrari has uh, ended their sponsorship deal with the uh, UPS, the courier uh, service uh, that's been going on almost a decade. Uh, they've also dumped that uh, Mission Win Now branding, but uh, apparently yes! that they're still in, in in discussion with Philip Morris, the uh, tobacco Ooh. company. This is like... I, I don't even know how they would even brand that now because they, they had, for the longest time, they had that sort of uh, pseudo Marlboro, but not really Marlboro, you know, branding on the side of the uh, of the engine cowling. It's just kind of like, okay, well, we've been around for a while. We know what you're doing. You're not really fooling us, but I guess it's kind of cool with the powers that be because it's 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 not, you know super liminal or in your face branding it's a little bit more subtle or subliminal uh you know the way that they are doing it so anyways uh you would think that uh, when it comes to things that you would want to stay away from the tobacco companies and maybe try and work out something because i mean nobody really has anything against ups as far as i know of unless you've had your (laughs) your package delivered way too late or damaged or something like that but uh, who knows maybe i'm too simple to to, to look into this one different you know deeper than that Deckle Spotters on Twitter at Deckle Spotters does a really good job of summarizing all of the changes to team sponsorship year in, year out. What we know from from Ferrari based on their posts is Santander is back with Ferrari and out is Mission Winnow UPS and a couple of other smaller sponsors, mm-hmm. including Alfa Romeo. Mission Winnow, of course, is a sub-brand of Philip Morris, which is obviously a tobacco conglomerate. And Mission Winnow is a not-so-subtle effort to trick young people into taking up electronic cigarettes. So for me, I am incredibly ecstatic that Philip Morris potentially is gone. The one concern, the one issue at hand is that Ferrari still hasn't announced their title sponsor for 2022. So there's always that fear that maybe maybe Philip Morris comes back with a new sub brand to help promote electronic cigarettes and tobacco alternatives. But hopefully that's not the case. Other big changes from a sponsorship perspective, just while we're talking about this, it looks like BWT has abandoned their relationship with Aston Martin. Hmm, So pink highlights could be gone next year and a a couple other more subtle changes as well. And we'll summarize those in an upcoming podcast. But when we start hearing these things in January, you start to be able to start envision what what these cars are going to look like. And again, like I said, with, with the mission window one, one, I was v- deeply uncomfortable with mission window being a part of their livery. I'm very happy they're gone. It's going to be easier for me to cheer for Ferrari, but also that mission window sticker on, on the fin of the car just looked awful. Yeah. That, that really so nasty neon green. Yeah. And when you and I, do you remember you and I did the, did the livery 
power rankings. Oh last yeah, year. yeah, and if I recall, yeah. Our March Ferrari Madness took a beating because of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they did, and rightfully so. I mean, it, it just uh, really spoiled the look of that car. And I mean, you know, it, it didn't work on a number of uh, levels. But uh, yeah, that's uh, your your memory's uh, correct because uh, they did not <laughs> they did not progress very far. They 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 were not happy at getting bounced out of uh, early on uh, March Madness. Okay, so let's move on. Okay, final story. So this one, Lando Norris said, uh, moving to, to Monaco, that anyone in my position would do my same, or would do the same. Well, first of all, welcome. I'm kidding. I don't live in Monaco. No <laughs> <laughs> you, live, you live in North Coquitlam, which as our listeners now envision. The Monaco of, of the Tri-Cities. That's correct. Yes. The, 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 the Monaco of the greater Vancouver regional area. The, the only thing I'm that we're, we're missing being on a mountain is the, uh, you know, the, the, the yacht full of uh, luxury mega or the, the marina full of uh, mega luxury yachts. But hey, we're working on it. Money's no <laughs> obstacle uh, up here. But uh, yeah, so Lando uh, moved to uh, Monte Carlo. What was it, uh, last summer or something uh, like that? Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, the McLaren driver had to say, quote, the reasons why are very obvious, and I've said the reason why. There's probably drivers in the paddock who uh, uh, who get to F1 and make some decisions because they expect their career in F1 to be maybe 10 years, and it can turn into one year or two years. This can be a life-changing for yourself for 20, 30, 40 years' time. Anyone else in the world in my position, would they would probably do something very similar. So, I mean... Uh, uh, you, yeah, you're kind of living. Uh, you're in a bit of a different position in life if you're looking to to live in a you know the principality of uh, Monaco, and uh, or you know even grow up there and live there. I mean, like Charles Leclerc. I mean, uh, you know, he, he's like as mono you know Monaco as you can be, having uh, you know grown up and lived there. But uh, I mean, it's a tax haven too as well. And uh, you know, I'm I'm sure that uh, if you go walk around there, it's like a who's who of. Uh, you know, a, a lot of very rich and successful and very notable, um, you know, people across uh, a, a wide uh, variety of uh, industries and uh, professions, right? And and let's not pretend that North American athletes competing in the big four in North America, let's not pretend that they don't sometimes make free agency decisions about signing in a state where there's no state income tax. That yeah, happens, exactly, right? right? Players will sign to play in Texas or Florida because they don't have to pay that state income tax. And I'm hoping I'm getting that right now and that there are, isn't state income tax in those places. But this is very much the same move. And I think the reason this is a story is because especially British drivers have been heavily criticized for setting up camp in Monaco to avoid paying income tax in the UK. And and Lewis Hamilton's been greatly criticized for this throughout his career because he's been in Monaco for a very long time. And even recently when he was being knighted back in the UK, people were suggesting and there was a movement suggesting he shouldn't be knighted hmm. because he's not living in the UK and paying UK income tax and not contributing to the, the domestic welfare state by contributing and funneling his tax dollars there. But I get it. And I think what I appreciate most here from Lando Norris is the honesty and the transparency that, look, I could have a very short career. You know, I might be making millions of dollars now, but I could be out of the sport in two years and I want to protect my earnings as much as I can. Because sure. if I'm back in the UK, I might be paying 30 or 40% income tax. And if I'm only going to be an F1 driver for one or two years, or if I have an injury or if I'm out of the sport because I'm no longer competitive, I just want to make sure that I can harbor as much of that money now as possible because I'm not going to be in the sport. As he said, this can be life changing for yourself for 20, 30, 40 years time. Yeah. But 
most drivers aren't in F1 or in the paddock for 10 years. It could be one year or two years, he says. You know, it, it's a great point that he makes, too, because I, I think that uh, let's use an NFL reference, right? I mean, you, you, as much as like uh, you think or when you think of NFL, you think of a guy like Tom Brady. I mean, Tom's been around for like 20 years at the the absolute peak. But I mean, for every guy like Tom Brady, there's what, 10, 20, 30, 50 guys that uh, they're in and out of the league in a couple of years. And I mean, sure, they, they make, you know, a handsome amount of money in those couple of years but you know then then that's their shot at playing at uh you know at, at that top level the average career yeah. of an nfl player is just under three years yeah there you go so i mean yeah you could put away a tidy uh, set of sum of money that uh, you know is probably going to set you up very nice for the rest of your life but you know at some point uh, for, for these guys that that's it you know life moves on and you know it's uh, not uh you know you know game day on sunday and uh, trying to prepare to win a super bowl or something like that it's like okay, I guess I am going to work in the box factory or, you know, selling insurance or, you know, whatever reality looks like uh, once you, you're you done uh, playing uh, pro football. But um, anyways, Mark, that's that's all I have uh, for tonight. Uh, you already stole my, my carefully, you know, selected uh, email, but you're shaking your head there. But uh, well done for, you know, kudos to you for beating me right out of the shoot here, the first show of uh, 2022. Hey, I got the year right. I was only say 21, but I said 22, but... But uh, it's uh, it's great to be back. Uh, you know, we we pre-recorded and uh, kind of like uh, scheduled a bunch of shows over the past couple of weeks as we've um, you know kicked back and uh, re- relaxed over the holiday season. But it's fun to to, to get back uh, to it. And as uh, everybody in the live stream sees that, you know, we we don't we we have our outline, but you know, this show is basically you see what you get, and uh, it's fun. I enjoy doing it uh, doing it live. To all of our contest winners as well, I believe we've got pretty much everyone taken care of. Our The winner of the magazine subscription to Race Weekend, I know you've received your first two issues. Uh, to one of the winners of our poster contest, yours was shipped out a couple of days ago. To our winner in Toronto, yours is going to ship out hopefully tomorrow. I've just been trying to track down a tube to ship it in. And to the winner of our David Tires painting contest i spoke to him a couple of days ago and he was just prepping your print to ship out so i feel like we've almost made everybody oh, whole for the contest that was that meg that won that one right three months. it was Meg. who did what, what what print did she choose lewis right she cho- well it, it came down to a choice between max verstappen and lewis so i can very confidently say she chose lewis <laughs> i was just gonna say <laughs> oh that's cool but uh, awesome all right well i think that's all we got uh, for tonight um, you know brad's gone quiet in the live chat so i think that uh, you know the uh, you know so that's the sign that the podcast <laughs> is over brad's quiet <laughs> no i i think that's the He's sign that, uh, that 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 we uh, we we put him to sleep so <laughs> you know if you need a cure for insomnia <laughs> You know, make sure you hit that subscribe uh, pod, or button for this podcast and, uh, you know, guaranteed lights out in 10 minutes or less. But uh, joking aside, uh, thank you one and all for for listening to the show this week. Uh, you know, really looking forward to getting the season up and running. Great to, to see all of you back. Uh, again, if you want to get to, in touch, uh, join us on uh, our Spaces Chat uh, Thursday nights, roughly 6 p.m. Uh, Pacific, 9 p.m. Uh, Eastern. Yeah, thanks to everyone that joined tonight. Yeah, I heard it was off the hook. I, I can... Comp- coming in and talking about wheel covers with us. That was awesome. Yeah. What was Bryson's uh, email, or sorry, Twitter? <laughs> Bryson's Twitter again. Was it at Natural pa- Paradigm, I believe it is? Uh, he 
he's a really yeah, good follow, follow and a really good guy. So you want to give him a follow. We are at Scootery F1 Pod on Twitter. So get in touch. If you want to send us an email, uh, you can do that at scooteryf1pod at gmail.com. Still have a lot to, of those to get to. And uh, we'll do that uh, shortly now that we're back to, to usual, back to normal. And that's it. On behalf of myself and Mr. Mark Hamilton, thank you so very much uh, for listening. Have a great uh, weekend. And, well, obviously there's no race uh, this this, this weekend, uh, but uh, we will be back again this time next week. And so that's it. Have a great weekend. Talk to you guys soon. Bye for now.